Welcome back to the fifth episode of Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. I'm your host, Vicki James, and today I am joined by my best friend of 22 years, Katie. Hey there. <laughs> so today's episode is on Mindy Tran, and this is actually a local case based in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, where we are located. But since this episode does involve a small child, I do just want to give a quick warning that this episode does involve graphic subject matter and violence towards children and adults and strong language. The subject content discussed may offend someone and is not suited for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I am going to start putting that on all of them because I realized I didn't in the last one and I talked about pretty insane things. That's perfect because I listened to one of them thinking my son was not listening and he definitely was. And he's like, I heard Auntie talk about a murder. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I'll put earphones in next time. That's awful. Um, Bad mom moment. That's okay. Um, yeah, I just thought, you know, it's good to put one in there because we talk about murder and we swear and all of those things because, you know, you can totally swear if you're talking about pigs (laughs) eating people. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes Uh it's swear worthy. Yeah. I also want to advise, I actually heard this in another podcast and thought it was probably good to say that um, I nor my posts are professional investigators nor journalists and we try our best to definitely give the right facts but this case made me realize that not all facts are accurate (laughs) and so we just try our best to be able to fact check but we might actually not be right so we try our best (laughs) so with that uh go put this on pause and grab a blt a reuben or even a turkey club and let's mow down on some true crime It's so lame, but I like it. <laughs> I, I like it too. <laughs> I was like, I should change the sandwiches once in a while. I think you should. You should. Yeah. Like maybe keep two and then change like the last one every time. I was going to do that. I was going to do pulled pork instead of turkey. You should have done one, something with extra bacon. <laughs> I know. That's why I want to do pulled pork. That was my whole reasoning. I kind of missed out on an opportunity there. Just, just a little bit. I was like, is that going too far? <laughs> If it was an Okanagan sandwich, it would have to be a skinny sandwich. Ew, in my description <laughs> of my podcast, I did say, like, go grab a sandwich. And I said, you might not want to grab bacon for this one. Ah, there you So go. it was like I slid it in. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but no one probably saw it. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to start off by talking about our local city, because we do have a lot of listeners from the States. So Kelowna is a city located on Okanagan Lake in the Okanagan Valley, in the southern interior of British Columbia, which is on the western side of Canada. British Columbia has a population of about 5.2 million, and we actually take up 9.5% of Canada's landmass, and we are the fifth largest province. Yeah. So Nunavut and then Quebec, Northwest Territories, and Ontario are in front of us. But if you don't count the territories, then technically we're third. (laughs) I think we're supposed to count the territories. That's what I'm taught, at least. (laughs) I know, right? 
<laughs> um, we are located just under 400 kilometers or 250 miles from Vancouver, British Columbia, for reference. That's a pretty popular one that people seem to know. So. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Mindy Tran was eight years old on August 7th, 1994, and she lived at 385 Taylor Road in Rutland, which is a part of town in Kelowna on the northeastern side, I think. After dinner, Mindy asked to go outside to go play with her friends. So Mindy had just ridden her pink bike down the road to her friend Charmaine's house. She just lived on the block. Nothing crazy. She was still on Taylor Road. But she didn't actually return home for a few hours. And so Mimi went out looking for her and actually found her bike laying on the lawn of Charmaine's house. And this was at 7.52 p.m. And she wasn't inside. So Mimi did call the police. And then that's when neighbors and friends started out searching for her in the area. And then by 9 p.m., helicopters were flying over Rutland and then Mission Creek Park, which is like a 90-hectare area park by Mindy's house. Yeah, lots of woods, lots. big creek. Yeah. Great place to hide a body, apparently. <laughs> Honestly, I'd probably hide a body in there. It's it's tainted, that's for sure. You know, I've like I've barely spent any time in Mission Creek Park. I I've been there a few times. Last time I went on a walk on there actually, this guy I was seeing like picked me up on my like break at okay. Like, this is, like, six years ago. And he broke up with me on a quick walk through Mission Creek. Why <laughs> you hate it? <laughs> this is where I was broken up with. And he drove me there. And I only had 30 minutes. And it was, like, not super close to where I worked. So Why then you just do it in the parking lot and be done with it? I know. I was like, <laughs> now I have to, like, I had to sit in the car with him on the way back to work. How awkward. It was the worst. And then my coworker was, like, in high school. And she's like, how was it? And I was like, he dumped me. <laughs> she was like, oh. I didn't actually care. I was like, whatever. But yeah, do it in the parking lot. Right? Sorry, small segue. Um, so this uh, the time of Mindy's disappearance is actually like really dependent on the witness statements. So we're going to go through probably a lot of names in this case, honestly. So I'll try to take my time. <laughs> so Jessica and Ryan were on their way to their friend's house who lived on Taylor Road. And they both saw Mindy riding her bike up and down Taylor Road. And this is at 6.45 p.m. So they saw Mindy speaking to two women around this time. But there's actually no mention anywhere else of the police ever looking into them. I never found anything. So there's nothing about these two women. No, but there's two people who said that they saw her talking to them. Which is weird. Like... Now, like, why haven't these two women said, yeah, I was talking to this girl or. Well, maybe did they even like look out and see like, hey, like if you were talking to her, come forward or were, did they just not even think it was a big deal? I'm sure they. Well, I don't know. It was shoddy investigating. So I, I would love to say I'm sure they did look for these women. <laughs> but honestly, you guys will find out pretty soon that this is just a honest to God mess. <laughs> it's a literal mess. Yeah, I did two back to back. That was not great police investigation. So I it may seems have a like trend. A running like <laughs> trendier. Yeah, it's a trend with these murders. So Jessica and Ryan saw a white van driving slowly through the neighborhood as they were on their way to Lisa's place. When they arrived at Lisa's house, Jessica immediately went inside, and Ryan actually stayed outside. And then Ryan said that he saw Mindy lay down her bike between two rocks at 350 Taylor Road and walked into the direction of 360 Taylor Road around 6.50 p.m. Okay. So pretty good witness. Yeah. 
So Ryan and Jessica and Lisa quickly went into the house and then they all came out. They weren't in there very long. And by this time, Mindy was totally not there, but her bike was still there. And all three of them saw the white van. Okay. And her bike wasn't moved? No. Apparently it was still in the exact same spot that Ryan had seen her leave it. Okay. So Mindy's friend Charmaine and her parents lived at 360 Taylor Road. So that makes sense. Yeah. But they also had a boarder there uh, who lived, just was like kind of on a cot in the living room. And his name was Shannon Mirren. That name will come up a lot. A lot. This house was a duplex. So one half was inhabited by Charmaine and her two parents, Brimer and Stephanie. Bremer? Brimer? I think it's Brimer. And yeah. the other half of the house was by these two other people. There was a tiny bit of information on them, but really just like, did you see the van? And they didn't. So that was the other side of the duplex? Yeah, okay. that's all they ever said. 45 minutes after Mindy disappeared, police received an anonymous call about a man in a vehicle cruising through Mindy's neighborhood trying to entice children with candy. The wrong license plate number was provided, and they hung on to that license plate for apparently for like a couple weeks and then realized it was wrong. It seems very, like, a conveniently placed call, though. Oh, for sure. Like, I don't... Like, like, did you already know she was missing? Like, you had to have been in the neighborhood in 45 minutes. So... I guess so. So, Patrick Radke, he lived next door to the duplex, and he had also seen Mendici talking to the two women. And he said that he saw a van pull out of the driveway around 6.45 p.m., Now, that's all I heard. So, it just says the driveway. So, I don't know what driveway. Yeah, like, were they in the 360? It sounded like they had to have been, like, in the the duplex. Okay. To me, that's how I perceive it. And nobody claimed the white van as theirs. No. Just some random. Yeah. Corporal Severson, he is, like, the main corporal on the case. He first interviewed Shannon Murin, and it was at 145... Or, yeah, in the morning on now, this is August 18th because it's the next day. So, in the interview, Shannon stated that his whereabouts of that day was that he woke up from a nap around 6 to 7 p.m. and had a beer. He walked to the McDonald's in Rutland because his friend had told him that he saw his stolen bike there. He then told Severson that he went to his friend Bob Holmes' house and that a few people were there and that when him and Rob became aware that Mindy was missing, they actually joined the search party on Bob's motorcycle. So Shannon suggested that Severson check out all the people that he had contact with and then said he wouldn't talk to them again until they had. And then Shannon also volunteered his criminal record at the time, which was pretty extensive. And he did spend some time at, like, a federal penitentiary back in Newfoundland. So, like, yeah. he had done his time. Yeah, something about an assault charge and, like, a weapons, holding a weapon or something. Yeah, and apparently it's, like, a pretty, like, awful yeah, prison. I, I started, yeah, not, not a great human being. <laughs> no. So Severson did confirm um, with other neighbors as well after they talked to Shannon, like Brimer and Stephanie, they did leave at six and Shannon was sleeping. And they were also able to confirm, uh, Severson was, that he had actually been looking for his bike for a few weeks, like it was stolen. And so he was like, okay, like, seems pretty solid. Yeah. Bob and Ellie Holmes lived in a duplex on Elwyn Road. So this is just a few minutes from Mindy's house. And they had two boarders living there as well. And all four were home that night. 
And they had friends over for a jam session, and everyone corroborated Shannon's story by seeing him there by seven. So how many people were there? Like four or five? <clears throat> so there's the four people who lived there, and then they had three others. Okay. Yeah. That's a decent amount of people. <clears throat> it is. One of the friends there stated that he actually made a call that night to 911, and when he was on the call, he saw Shannon show up and was talking to another person that was there. Why was he calling 911? It never says why, but the police actually checked. His name was Alfred, and he did actually make a call at 6.59. Okay. So they were like, okay. And he stated that Shannon was there all night. Okay. Minus the McDonald's trip and the... Uh... Well, McDonald's... So he went to Bob's after McDonald's and then okay. apparently stayed there all night. Okay. His bike was not at McDonald's. <laughs> Shocker. As much as I could read. The Rutland McDonald's. It's, yeah. All right. <laughs> so at this time, Severson totally believed that Shannon was at Bob's residence the whole time. And when, when Mindy Tran disappeared and just labeled him as an unlikely suspect. <laughs> so he's unlikely at this point. All right. Yeah. So the search for Mindy obviously started right there. There actually was over 500 volunteers. And at the time was actually the biggest search party in Canadian history. Yeah. Um, although it surfaced absolutely no results. No, and they I was reading that they cut it off after, what was it, like six days or something like that? Because there was just too many people out there looking that they couldn't actually, like, form a proper search party. Because there was just people willy-nilly kicking things over. And, like, basically, if they came across a crime scene, there's, like, 60 people in an area. Is it one of them? <laughs> we don't know. So they cut it off, and then four days after that, they also cut off the police search. I don't know. It, like, And I get it, because like, if people are reporting that there's a car... Yeah, I mean, you could take a car anywhere. It's true. Yeah. Like, you you don't want to stop looking, but you can't... But, like, yeah, like, yeah, where like, do you where, possibly go? And like, Mission anyone Creek who's been like, to Kelowna, like, you could... <laughs> there's many places to hide a body here. We have a lake. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, a few have turned up in there. So. Yeah, exactly. So this is also when the white van was reported by multiple witnesses. Like, it was like a, a thing now. Yeah. It was just not really ever pursued. But then on August 19th, the police received a tip that a girl matching Mindy's description was struggling with a man in a brown pickup truck. So then they started looking at both. They got all the witnesses together about the white van and... Then they actually got a composite sketch from all the three or four people. And even though, this is weird, none of the witnesses talked about a scar on the driver's face, the composite sketch came up with a scar, and then they called him Scarface. Ah, classy. <laughs> I think that was the sketch artist being like, let's give this guy some pizzazz since I got nothing. Yeah, he looks like a generic dude, like a Chad. <laughs> Chad with a big old scar on his face. I mean, like, if you're going to commit a crime, you probably shouldn't have, like, a giant mark on your face that's that distinctive. Yeah, like, look what happened to Scar in Lion King. He was fooled right away. <laughs> So police did never find this white van or the brown pickup truck. But I this actually comes up a little bit later. The investigation grew very quickly. And then by September 14th, there were 44 detectives working on the Tran case. And then heading the investigation was Sergeant Gary Tidsbury. Not asshole. He's a 27-year veteran of the RCMP. And he is head of the Kelowna Detachment of Plain Clothes Detectives. Apparently, that's a specific department. <laughs> yeah. I learned that. Yeah. On August 24th, a $25,000 reward was offered for any information, and then later this reward was increased to $35,000. It was never given out. I still remember 
I was like five when all this was going on, but I still remember the billboards that were put up like all over the city that had like reward and like her school picture. It's crazy. That is crazy. I did not live here at that time, but we had just here moved now. here like five months prior to that or to this, I should say. <laughs> Um, among the volunteers was a man named Rit, uh, Rex Fitzgerald. He said that even though the search was eventually called off on August 22nd, he just kept searching. I found out a little bit more information about him. So he's actually 68 and he was a highly respected member of the search and rescue community. He actually assisted on 500 ser- uh, searches and even has trained police. So he's like, he knows what he's doing. He's got the perfect name for it, too. I feel like yeah. Rex is like that guy that's going to find the things. <laughs> it's true. So he actually took the advice of a psychic woman that was speaking to the police, and he took a divining rod out to Mission Creek Park. For those of you who don't know what a divining rod is, I googled it because I just wanted to make sure. So it's a Y-shaped twig or rod, and is usually uh, used to find groundwater, buried metals, gemstones, oil, or sometimes grave sites. It is a pseudoscience, and there's a large stigma as, like, some people do think it's a hoax. I... I think there's truth to, to, there's small bits of truth to everything out there. I mean, if it works, it works. There's some things that people know that nobody else doesn't, and there's no explanation for it. Small bits of truth to everything. Yeah, exactly. It just seems sketchy, though. Because, I mean, like, you take something that's not widely known, and you find a body. Yeah. Like, that seems pretty sketch to me. It's true. So, Surgeon Tidsbury actually provided some strands of hair to Rex, and then Rex and his friend Gary Cam would then go out searching for Mindy together. So on October 11th, 1994, Rex and Gary did discover the body of eight-year-old Mindy Tran with the divining rod. They did come across a section of Mission Creek Park and saw a piece of red cloth wrapped around a tree, and they realized that that Mindy was wearing red when she went missing, so they kind of started searching the area. She was found in a quite a shallow grave at the base of a large tree. And it was about a mile from like where Mindy lived. Like it's not far. Yeah. And Rex and Gary spotted her in the area of the tree with the red cloth. So it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And they found like her foot was just like sticking out. Like they saw the top of her shoe. And so yeah. they kind of like went into it a little bit and saw there's a leg sticking out. And then, so, like, this is 1994, so... Well, considering they did that huge search, right, you think the body would have to have been moved sometime after the search is called off. No, I agree. Like, like if the search was being conducted, like, how did no one see that? But again, there's, like, 500 people. Well, that, but it was, like, okay, so I was reading exactly where it is, and Taylor Road, and where the tree she was found is really not far from, like, a main road, and there's a park, well, I don't think there was a park there back then, but there was definitely a trail, like, it really wasn't far. So if she was, she couldn't have been there the whole time. She had to have been moved at some point. And you know what's interesting is, like, because you say that, like, there's some information about the autopsy. But it, uh, maybe they couldn't find out when she died because of the decomp. But, like, that's interesting. Like, but how long was... that she- how they tell? Uh, I'm not, I'm no expert, but, like, I watch a lot of criminal lives. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't the level of decomp the way that they're able to tell... Like there, I just couldn't find any information about no, I like don't know. how long she had been deceased for. If she'd been there no. for a while, like there was. N- 
And I guess they just assume it's that night, but like I don't know. Like, did it o- couldn't? Have but been. over the time, did the was she actually more dug into the ground and people didn't notice? And then with like, you know, as time went on, the maybe. ground kind of maybe there was like a lot of rainfall and it kind of brushed away her shallow grave a little bit because it was just the top of the shoe. Yeah, I don't know. I still my my theory is still she was moved. For sure, I'm definitely not discounting that she was moved. Yeah, she had to been taken somewhere. It's sad. It is sad. So, yeah, she was in the shallow grave. Um, a few days later, an autopsy was conducted, and the death was determined as a homicide. Uh, her nose had been broken in a couple places, and she had been strangled. Her killer actually used Mindy's shorts as a ligature. Uh, her body was in a pretty advanced state of decomposition, so there was no evidence of sexual assault. But because Mindy's body was naked from the waist down, the coroner did conclude that Mindy had also been sexually assaulted. And then I did find out that although there was a stain on Mindy's shirt uh, that had not been analyzed, a corporal in the case like washed Mindy's shirt and shorts. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) because every cop knows that's the first thing on the job. You know, when you find a dead body, you might as well strip them and just wash their clothing because respectful, right? Oh my! I just—it it makes no sense because, like, does I, he's wa- covering something up? That's the only logical explanation. But like, do they ever wash evidence clothing? Like no. ever? Like that? I've never heard of that on Criminal Minds. <laughs> <laughs> on all of the murders we've watched, <laughs> I've never once. Like, no, I'm sorry, that's not a thing. It can't be a thing. It can't be a thing. When and I heard that, it if was it like- is a thing, and there's any but any cop listening, please, 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 let us know. <laughs> Yeah, and he apparently testified that he was so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was a mistake, guys. I just washed away all the evidence, but oops, my bad. I'm just going to get to go on living my life. And what a fucker. <laughs> it's like, when I read that, I was like, okay, like what? <laughs> I just, I, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just no words. So Rex and Gary did end up testifying that because it was 1994, they had to leave the park to call Sergeant Tidsbury to say that they found her. So it actually, from the time they left the park to the time that Tidsbury showed up, it was actually two hours. And she was left alone for like half of that, maybe. So once they all got to the location, which is kind of weird, Rex and Gary immediately left. And... Like, the article that I read said that it was just really strange because they're, like, expert searchers. And they could have assisted with, like, whose tracks were theirs and then mm-hmm. whose isn't. And they, like, that's the last thing I have. Like, they never yeah. went back and tested shoes from what I saw. Um, another thing they found was they found at least 100 baggies that were containing glue. And then several tubes of glue that were found amongst the leaves and twigs used to bury Mindy. And they asked sh- glue. Glue. And they asked Shannon if he sniffed glue, and he said no. (laughs) (laughs) This is the obvious response. When I read that, I was like, that's your, that was their first glue. 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 And it didn't say what kind of glue. So I don't know, was it sticks of glue? Was it just like like, glue? Like what kind of glue? Tubes of glue. Like how many? No. But what kind of tubes? And what kind of glue? What were they used for? Were they found and a on her butt? A hundred baggies. A hundred baggies. That's a lot of glue. I'm just picturing like... like little little dime baggies. Yeah. Like, like little dime baggies full of like... <laughs> glue? 
I literally, what? my first thought was like, did they think it was glue? But it was like crystallized or like melted cocaine. Melted drugs and glue. <laughs> well, I mean, it's possible with these guys. <laughs> I just was like, are you sure it's glue? <laughs> I just don't trust anything. That's true. I don't. That is. That's just like weird. it's obviously not like because they can't yeah. be that stupid. <laughs> <You'd> hope. <laughs> I would hope. Sergeant Tisbury ended up testifying after Mindy's body was found so close to her house that they didn't think that a vehicle was used at all, and that the file had grown like really enormous. So this is when they actually sent the review team in Vancouver to help them with the investigation. So the review team did agree with Tidsbury that no vehicle was used in the abduction. And as a result, Shannon Muren became the prime suspect. The review team and Tidsbury concluded that a suitcase was used to transport Mindy's body. And they began reviewing tips of people who had seen a man with a suitcase around the time Mindy disappeared. Several people actually did report seeing a person who they identified as Shannon Muren with a suitcase on the night of Mindy Tran's disappearance. And. So you just get these tips and you don't do anything with them until after she's found? Like, it's weird. Yeah, like, why wouldn't you ask him what was in the suitcase? Why wasn't that the first interview question? Like, hey, dude. Why didn't you start test- looking at people's suitcase and testing it for, like, hair and stuff? Right? Like, God, do you not watch Criminal Minds? No, I don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> This is, like, basic CSI shit. <laughs> like, ugh. So at this time, Tidsbury decided that he was going to, or sorry, this is like, this is actually the most ridiculous part of this, I think, in my opinion. So Tidsbury is like super fabulous, right? Like he's obviously a good cop. He's done like a fabulous job to this point. So he's going to make it like one step better. And he's going to organize an undercover sting operation against Shannon. And this occurred in 1990 or November of 1994. So Canada actually calls this the Mr. Big operation. I've actually read a lot about this. There is like this show on Netflix about this, these two boys and they end up killing one of their parents or something. And they use the Mr. Big operation on them. And it was like very interesting. Interesting. It's about like false confessions or something on Netflix. Anyway, recommend. um, I think it was the first episode even. But they said in the show, it's actually totally illegal in the U.S., it's only legal in Canada. This is Mr. Big Operation. So basically it's like you can't, a police officer cannot like pretend to go like undercover in, and then it be used against you in court. Okay. So in the States, you can do undercover and like use that information and to get actual evidence to use in court. So in Canada, you cannot be an undercover police officer and ha- use that information. In the use. States, you can't. Oh. Okay. But in Canada, you can. So in this case, like, they can do any undercover operation, and then they can use that in court. Still? Still. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's still. I didn't actually look it up for this one. But that Netflix show that I watched was not that long ago. Like, under two years. Okay. And I learned it, like, it was really interesting, that part, because, like, they didn't go to trial for a super long time because of it. And then... They have it in here, so like that's why there's all apparently there's a lot of undercover operations in Canada because of it. <laughs> so kids buried the helm. Yeah, exactly. It's very subject to debate because you know maybe like in a gang kind of operation, like if you're like a new member of a gang or something, like are you going to lie about something that you did that's not actually true to get like clout? Right. 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 So like if you end up being like, oh, I was just like I was lying, they're going to be like, yeah. yeah, like tough shit. So 
Tidsbury organized two. So the first part was that he got someone to offer Shannon $250,000 to kill a woman and her child. And he refused. He still comp- continued with the other half. And so he arranged for an undercover man named Rick Demeester. And he offered Shannon a trip home to Newfoundland for Christmas so that he could talk to Bob Holmes, Shannon's alibi, without Shannon interrupting. So Shannon totally accepted Obviously, like, why wouldn't yeah. you? Like, a free trip across Canada. But, like, aren't you suspicious of that now, Mr. Mister Murren? Yeah, like, wouldn't you be pretty suspicious? Some some dude just walks up, hey, you want to go home for Christmas? I'll pay for it. And you're like, yeah, what do I got to do? Nothing. It's more expensive to go across Canada by plane than it is to go to, like, Mexico. So, like. True story. I went <laughs> to Ireland instead of going to Calgary. So, I mean, I paid less. <laughs> right. Facts. So Shannon was actually now residing in the other half of Bob Holmes' duplex. He moved. Okay. Probably a good idea. Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when Shannon was out of town, Tidsbury then goes and re- reinterviews Bob and Ellie Holmes. So a few days later, December 29th, 1994, Tidsbury visits Bob and Ellie Holmes. And when he asked them to provide a story like of what happened on the night of Mindy Tran's disappearance, they just totally changed their story and said that they did not see Shannon at 7 p.m. and that Shannon had asked him to cover for them. They actually didn't see Shannon until 9 p.m. So Tidsbury convinced him that Shannon was the killer of Mindy Tran. Bob was super, super upset and made a statement along the lines of, I would just as soon kill the bastard who did it myself. And Tidsbury replied, couldn't agree with you more. Which is like a little unprofesh. Yeah. Just, just a tad, you know. <laughs> yeah. So Tidsbury encouraged Bob to go and ask Shannon some questions and, you know, just see what happens. <laughs> sure. Some random dude off the street that has no interview skills. and A t- criminal record. Criminal record. Totally, totally reliable. Like the most reliable <laughs> dude you could ever find. This will definitely go okay in court for sure. Right. This is... Prime. <laughs> so Bob lets Tisbury know, like, yeah, they'll get a confession out of him or they'll at least get him to commit to taking a polygraph and that he may find Shannon tied to a tree. So Tisbury just responded and told them not to do anything stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Other officers advised Tisbury that they didn't think it was a good idea. And one even told their supervisor, but it didn't actually end up going anywhere. Bob and a pair of his friends, they show up to Shannon's place, like, as in knock next door, and they come with a tire iron. Shannon tried to scare them off with a rifle, but apparently Bob was actually about to buy that rifle and knew it wasn't loaded. Oh. So Shannon was then knocked in the back of the head, thrown downstairs, and tossed into the back of a truck, and then taken to Mission Creek Park. So the bridge to the creek was gated and locked, and I know exactly what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They hoisted Shannon over the fence and dropped him six feet down to the cement. (laughs) Which, like, I've been there. That would hurt. Yeah, that would really hurt. hurt. So the cops were called due to the screaming from when he hit the concrete, and Tisbury sent uh, them all away. And he even called the dispatcher to remove them from the scene. And officers did end up testifying later and were like... The scene was not prime investigative <laughs> skills right here. This is this just all encompasses this guy. Like, yeah. oh yeah, don't worry, he's just being beat up over there. Oh. It's okay. It's, it's okay. fine. It's fine. Yeah. 
So 45 minutes goes by, Tidsbury enters the park and finds Shannon bleeding, half buried in snow, and cranial fluid is leaking from his ears. So police told the ambulance that it was a routine call and not to bother with the lights and sirens to the hospital. So what's his, like, game plan here? Because this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, <laughs> the Tidsbury guy is like, he, he just wants, he thinks Shannon is the one that did it and they just wants him to die. Okay. Like a really callous person, like not a cop, should definitely not be a cop. But like, what's his game plan? Doesn't he want him to pay? Or is that his his version of being like... I just don't think he thinks that far into the future. I think he's just like, this is what's going to happen now. (laughs) Let's just worry about all that later. If it was a setup, like, did they just want him done and out of the picture? I don't get it. I don't get what the game plan was there. I don't I don't get what the game plan was the entire time. No, me neither. <laughs> so apparently right before Shannon passed out, he did make a verbal confession to the killing, saying it was all in a letter that he sent to Donna and Marie Oliver in Newfoundland, but the letter was literally never recovered. Donna and Marie. Yes, Donna <laughs> and Marie. And then Oliver. So only a little close. So after Shannon went to the hospital, obviously, the three men were taken to the RCMP detachment. Uh, they were not fingerprinted. Mm. They were not patted down. They were actually put together, all three of them, in a, like a soft interview room, oh. like all fancy and cushy. Man, isn't that just what you do with when you get suspects in? No. There, you know, assault, somebody who's just assaulted other people, do you just give them a nice cushy room to go and corroborate their story in? <laughs> no. So they actually got coffee and donuts. They were allowed showers in the staff showers and they didn't get photographed or anything prior to the taking of the showers. And then all were interviewed in the same room by Surgeon Tidsbury. <laughs> this is just like, I feel like somewhere out there in like a criminology class, this is like textbook what not to do. <laughs> They've got like flyers up on the walls. They're like, don't do this. <laughs> Separate them. Don't be like this asshole. It's true. I get it. It's like, I didn't, yeah. It's sad. Like, this was here. This was here. I I live across the street. (sighs) Well, now it was, it was. Back then it was like way over there. Yeah. (laughs) So Shannon was released from the hospital after 10 or 12 days. I couldn't figure out which one. Uh, But he was released on January 17th, 1995. According to Shannon, Bob Holmes actually came to the hospital and pointed a gun in his face and threatened to harm his parents if Shannon did not plead guilty to the murder of Mindy Tran. So, like, is he just so, you know, he it has to be him, like, he thinks it's him, or is he just wanting to pin it on him because he's trying to hide something? Yeah, like, well, did Bob Holmes actually do it? I think Bob Holmes is just, like, I think he was just convinced by Tidsbury. That's fair. Um, and then apparently when he was in the hospital, he only was on, allowed a couple of visitors. I, I found a page that was very, like, pro-Shannon Murin, so mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. But they said that he was treated really horrible, and the hospital didn't even call his parents and let him know that he was, like, all hurt in the hospital. Hmm. And only Tidsbury and Bob Holmes and, like, one other cop were allowed to see him. Like, no one else was even allowed. Weird. So after his release, he was interrogated for 12 hours. And at the end, he was actually arrested for pointing a firearm, even though it wasn't loaded. And when Shannon appeared in court on the firearm charge, he pled guilty and he actually wanted the maximum sentence of two years so that he could return to Newfoundland and be closer to his family. The judge recommended the return, but he actually was never, ever sent there. 
Hmm. Tisbury made sure of that. So when Shannon was in jail, this is when Tidsbury was like, we need to find like all the evidence we can on this guy because at some point he might go to Newfoundland or at the end of the two years, he's going to go immediately out there and then we'll probably lose yeah. him forever. So he, Tidsbury arranged to have an undercover informant in jail to see if Shannon would reveal any information. He was able to find nine in total, seven of which testified at Shannon's preliminary hearing. Douglas Martin was the only one to testify at Shannon's trial, but he has over 109 convictions. And he said that he had privy information that only like the police and Shannon would know. But all the information they said to him was like in the media. Yeah. It was like she was found in a wooded area. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's great thanks. information there. Hun. Thanks, Tips. Yeah, hundred and nine. Hundred and nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a quality witness. <laughs> Tidsbury's notes uh, actually document all the efforts that he took for these informants. He did a variety of favors for them, such as staying some charges, victim services, transfers to other prisons. Shorter sentences, help with parole, relocation money, clothing or rent allowance, cash, or special privileges. Titsbury even paid to get Doug Martin's car fixed and then put him up in a motel. On January 14th, 1997, Shannon was arrested for the murder of Mindy Tran. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) This part might be like a little bit confusing because I actually wrote down some facts about this DNA stuff because I thought it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So the trial was delayed multiple times due to the lack of evidence. So in 1998, they were really pushing to have mitochondrial DNA to be presented at trial. But this type of DNA had never at this time been tried in Canada law at all. So the judge postponed the trial another year to allow the defense time to study mitochondrial DNA. It's like a long time. Okay. I mean. I get it. Yeah, that's fair. For sure. The DNA they are comparing is the blood on Shannon's clothes when he was assaulted and then hairs that were found next to Mindy's body. They actually dug up the hairs. There was three of them in soil next to her body. Hmm. So they originally sent the hairs to Vancouver, but they determined that they were conclusively inconsistent. Yeah. with And it didn't match Shannon. I read that part. Yeah. They sent the hairs and DNA to the UK to test. And then this hair and DNA were not photographed before transport. And Tidsbury personally delivered it. (laughs) Free trip to the UK. Yeah. So I'm just going to call mitochondrial MT DNA because don't make me do that a million times. So MT DNA is not like nuclear DNA. Nuclear DNA is inherited from both parents and is found in the nucleus of the cell. And MT DNA is extracted from the mitochondria in a cell and is thought that MT DNA is inherited from the mother only. So even the Crown's scientific experts admitted that mtDNA cannot be used to identify. It can only be used to eliminate suspects. That's fair. Totally. An expert in DNA testified at trial and said that all three hairs actually did match Shannon's hair and that only 24 out of 10,000 people would have the same mtDNA profile. But the DNA evidence had many flaws, such as that it has a high propensity to be contaminated as they judge by how much is contaminated. So I read into this a little bit more. So every like segment of law or whatever will have a different threshold. So some people will be like, like the FBI has a rule of 10%. So if they determine that it's 9% contaminated, they'll let it go through to trial. But it's over 10%. It's too contaminated. I mean, it's... 
I guess it depends what it is. It makes sense because, like, other DNA and all that crap, right? Yeah, but what if it's the only DNA, like, in this case? But, it, like it said, like, I agree with it when it said it can be used to rule out suspects. Yeah, not but identify. You, I mean, if they're, if they're ruling it out and, let's say, it matches seven people, like, how can you – you can't narrow it down. Like, that's – Yeah, that's true. So – also, what they're like this 10,000 people statistic is based on a database that's in the UK. So, this database has the genetic makeup of many different like cultures and nationalities and stuff. Okay. And uh, they said they could not officially confirm that Canadians or Newfoundlanders are in the database. All right. Yeah. Cool beans. <laughs> I read that, like, literally the testimonies were the complete opposite. They'd have, like, a scientist go up and be like, yeah, so his, like, genetic makeup is super rare. And so he, like, is, like, one out of 80,000 that this could be his. And then another person would go up and be like, it didn't match his at all. He is, like, really generic genetic makeup. And they all just literally contradicted each other. Well, let's be fair. DNA, wasn't DNA, like, really brought in in, like, the 80s? Well, and this is so, like, this is a different kind new. too. So I mean, DNA, I think they're the DNA experts. Probably they're just beginners, right? For sure. And I think it just shouldn't have been brought into this case. Probably it's probably the well, if the if the idiot hadn't washed her damn clothes, <laughs> exactly. Like, why would you? Oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> So the so the trial had 80 witnesses. It lasted seven months. And then other than the DNA mess, there were lots of holes in witness testimony comparatively. So I I read that they brought up like 10 people who witnessed the suitcase person walking down the road and not one of them identified the same suitcase. And I don't mean, like, down to color. Like, yeah. someone would say it's leather, and one of them would say it's plastic. And then one would say it was, like, hard, and one would say it was soft. And one said it was velvet, and one said it was wheels, and one said it didn't have wheels. So, like, what? So, again, <laughs> are they planting these? What? I know. But, okay, I can understand if, like, let's say, I mean, how... How far along was the trial? The trial was like four years later. Are you really going to remember what kind of suitcase somebody was? Also, I know the area they're in. Okay, like I know this is probably weird, but like the Greyhound is like right around the corner. It's not far. Yeah. It's like two blocks. Well, Greyhound doesn't exist anymore. I know, but it did exist in (laughs) 1994 and it was not that far. No. So like. The thing is, is like, I totally respect these people being, like, a girl was missing near there. I'm going to call, seeing this person have a suitcase. But, like, some of these people could have genuinely seen people with different suitcases. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Because Greyhound's not far. I know it's, like, a little bit of a stretch, but it's not far. Yeah, that's fair. In the summer, if you're, like, overnight from the Greyhound and your bus didn't come in the morning, people would probably sleep in the park. More than likely, yeah. (laughs) So, Yeah. And uh, there was also very strong suggestions in the trial, not shockingly, of police tampering. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I am I'm blown away at that information. I'm blown away. Like, I, would, I don't believe it. <laughs> no, shocker. So the trial made it seem that Tidsbury was out to get Shannon. Not shocking. And that and then Tidsbury got up on the stand and he denied having any previous knowledge of the beating. And then was obviously caught later in testimony from all the other officers that he lied on the stand. 
Like, they had notes of being sent away. That one told her supervisor about it. Like, everyone knew about it. He just, like, straight up committed perjury. So. Cool. Yeah. So, on January 17th, uh, 2000, the jury was off to deliberate. And on January 25th, 2000, Shannon was acquitted of murder and the death of eight-year-old Mindy Tran. RCMP did state after the trial that they have no plans to reopen the case. They just... And then what did you say earlier that Mir? What did he say after when he came out? Oh, yeah. His quote was like, they were asked, like, how do you feel? And he said something along the lines as well. I'm just so glad. Well, I'm just so glad. I have two fantastic lawyers. It's not like, I'm so glad that I'm innocent. He said, no, the reason I got off was because I have two fantastic lawyers. Now, I personally am not 100% convinced that he did it. I think he's a shady dude. Yeah. And he's done some stupid shit, but there's the evidence is so lacking that it's hard to point a finger. Like And that's the thing, is like you can feel that you did it, but it's always innocent before proving guilty. I've read up so many cases where the evidence is just actual, like the worst. Yeah. And they get convicted for like twenty five years. And it is did he do it or did he not? And then there is also cases where they have like so much evidence yeah. against the person, O.J. Simpson, and he doesn't get convicted, O.J. Yeah. Simpson. And so, like, <laughs> like what is that? I I know I'm going to circle back here, but it bugs me. If the guy hadn't washed your damn clothes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I just, I'm a little stuck on that. <laughs> no, but, like, that's, it's weird. It's weird. No. It, and that's the only mention of it. Like, like, oh, yeah, sorry, why? I accidentally just took this child's clothes home and washed it. But also, like, what was a corporal doing down in the morgue? Did they hang out down there? Well, I'm, no, I'm sure, like, they had, like, her belongings, what was found on her, and, like, a little evidence baggie or whatever, right? But why would but, he like, take it out and go well, wash exactly. it? Exactly. Did he take it home, or is there, like, a washing machine? No, I'm sure there's a washing machine there. I just said take it home, because that was weirder. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, honest, honestly, he screwed it. He's... He, that Like, in multiple ways. Oh, yeah. But, like, he ruined the entire thing. But, like, did he do... I, obviously, he had to do it on purpose. There's no other reason that you take clothing from a murder victim and wash them. What do you think you're going to do? Give them back to the parents? Like, like they don't just, want that. No. No. <laughs> unless, uh, unless they do. Maybe no, they do. There's no way. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure... There might, but at, at the same rate, you don't wash evidence <laughs> away. It's like, did he not go to... <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. There was my third rant for the night. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be others. Yeah. Sergeant Lunn began an internal investigation into the conduct of Tidsbury in the near-fatal beating of Shannon Mirren sometime in 1995. Uh, we haven't talked about Lunn before. It's just like they're an internal investigator. Yeah, they're the ones that were brought up from Vancouver or something like that. I think so, yeah. So this was not the first time that Tidsbury had actually been accused of similar conduct. He had actually had, like, Shocker. multiple other complaints. These allegations didn't slow anything down. because Like, it started in 1995, so he still was able to lead the Tran investigation. He was allowed to transport the DNA to the United Kingdom, and he actually won Investigator of the Year for his work based on this case. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew that was going to piss you off. I'm so scared. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> Those are your, like, third rounds. I was like, fourth is in two bullet points. 
Oh my god. That's some I know. Investigator of the year. Like did For you what? <laughs> like literally creating so evidence for a case you're <gasps> that's why he created the evidence to win the award <laughs> i don't know well do, that's you, some bullshit. do you get money with the award because if it's some like shitty like so let me google that sterling silver like plaque so the internal investigation into tidsbury's conduct was still going on during shannon's trial and the RCMP chose the day of Shannon's acquittal to announce that there would be no charges against Tidbury. The day of the trial. He retired in 1999. It's too bad it wasn't sooner. I know, right? So after the trial, one of the jurors, Kathy McDonald, uh, moved to Newfoundland with Shannon and they're still in a relationship. Yeah, that's... I mean, beyond the shoddy investigative skills that these men possess. Um, what was that about? Like, all of a sudden, the juror runs off with the person that should have... Well, I get I read this weird article that was, like, a whole love story that was written by this reporter about them. And it was, like, two pages long. And it was, like, she was a single woman, now divorced, on a jury, and she was ready for life. She was an adventurer. And I was, like, what is this? She's creepy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's... There's, like, creepy, like, me and you, we like to watch murder mysteries. But I wouldn't but sit on a jury with a guy who was accused of murdering a child and be like, wow, that's a hot piece of ass. No. I don't care not. how desperate a person is. No. <laughs> like, you know what? If no. they're super you happy. Know you know what I realized? I had actually, I've never actually looked up what this guy looks like. Oh, Sergeant Tidsbury? No, Shannon Murren. Oh, I did. I saw a picture of him before and after the beating. And okay. while the beating was happening. Like, while he was in the hospital. He had, like, man, he looked wrecked. <clears throat> so, after the trial, the police in Edmonton stated that Shannon had also not been eliminated in a six-year-old's death in 1992. But then later, a man was actually charged and convicted of that crime. Which is just kind of weird, because the police up in Edmonton said, like, oh, he did it for sure. But then, like, a few years later, they convicted and charged someone else. But there's no other details about that. And then, in the 2000s, there was a guy named Joe Oliver... Um, not to be confused with Donnie and Marie Oliver from earlier. Apparently, there's just a lot of Olivers over there. Okay. Um, in Newfoundland, was cha uh, charged of killing two people in 1993. But he claims that Shannon was the shooter. Interesting. So the story was like kind of like a Mr. Big operation. Yeah. Is that Oliver wanted these two people, like wanted to beat up these two people or like scare them of some sorts. And so he kind of like brought them down to this like dock area and Shannon was like hiding in like the bushes or whatever. And then they brought him down and Shannon like came out of the bushes and Oliver thought that they were just going to beat him up. And then Shannon came out and was just like, and like shot them both. And then like they buried them and then they slept in those people's apartment. And then they had lunch the next day and then went around and they made sure there was like no evidence. That was Oliver's story. Hmm. Uh, Muren said that he did not take part in this at all. That was it. And they had nothing to tie in there. No guns. Or and anything. I didn't even read anything about how, if Oliver was charged or anything. I didn't read anything. So I don't know any. I, I don't know. And then in 2009, Shannon initiated a lawsuit against the RCMP, Sergeant Tidsbury, the federal government, and then the three acquaintances of Shannon's, the ones that beat him up, 
Uh, they were named Patrick Dunn, Robert Holmes, and Ken McDonald. They did actually reach a settlement and the amount has never been released. All that he said is that he is satisfied with it. Okay. Dunn did end up, this is actually hilarious to me. I hope you find it as like sickly funny as I do. So Dunn just immediately pled guilty to the assault. He was like, yeah, whatever, I did it. He was given a six-month jail sentence. But then the charges were dropped for the other two because the court ruled that it just took too long to bring them to trial. <laughs> if he just waited, he wouldn't have had that charge on him. Like the well, other guys. at least somebody has a conscience. I don't know. He's probably pissed about it. He probably was sitting probably. in jail and was like, are you for real? I'm the nice guy. I Right? <laughs> Those other guys get off. Oh, my God. That, but that's, like, isn't that just, like, the most sickest thing about our, like, judicial system is that, you know, it's just going to take too long. So, you know what, guys? Like, it's fine. Yeah, like, whatever. It's fine. You beat a guy almost to death. But you know what? It's going to take too long to try you, so go ahead. Just live your lives. You're good. Yep. So I have some after notes. Right. So these ones are pretty interesting. So at the trial's defense, it was asked if this abandoned house on Gagan Road, which is really close mm-hmm. to Taylor Road, had been searched. So Fred Radke, the guy who lived in the duplex next door, yeah. who was the neighbor of Shannon, had taken Severson to this abandoned house on August 17th. Fred actually used to live there, and he was worried because when he lived there, there was no lid on the septic tank. And so he was like, oh. hey, like, we should just check there. Like, out yeah. of the blue, like, let's just go. And... So Severson said that he searched the outside, but not the inside. And then while Shannon's trial was going on, there's a guy named James Holmes, not Bob Holmes. It's a different person. He's a convicted pedophile, and he allegedly confessed to murdering Mindy Tran in the abandoned house. Who did he confess to, though? I literally can't find anything else. I don't even know if this is true, but it did come up in an article. This confession, though, was actually aired by some company called VTV. Okay. And after the trial, James said that he abducted Mindy. Her bike was actually left in the middle of the road. James said that he moved it onto Shannon's lawn. And then the house was torn down 10 days after Mindy disappeared. Body moved. I I told you. So I know what everyone's probably thinking. The bike wasn't left in the middle of the road. It was left in the lawn. That's mm-hmm. what Ryan said. That, yeah. So my next little post note is after the trial, a statement surfaced from an ex-RCMP officer named Fred Mail. Fred was now an investigator with CanPro, and he had been hired to search for Mindy by a missing children's society. I found like three different names for them. So that's, I'm just, yeah. that's what I'm saying. So Fred found someone named Mrs. Hinners, and she stated that she was on her way to, like, a really fancy dinner party, and everyone had to make a contribution. So, like, it's a potluck. Yeah. And (laughs) so she's driving on Taylor Road when she notices a pink bike in the middle of the lane and an ugly brown van. So before it was a brown truck, though, right? And a white van. And a white van. So she saw it halfway in the driveway of 360 Taylor Road. Okay. So it's sticking out into the road. So she swerved around the bike and the ugly brown van went to her dinner party. Once she got there, she realized she left her contribution to the dinner. So she quickly drove back home, back down Taylor Road, back past the pink bike that was still in the middle of the road. When she drove back to the dinner party, the bike was now on the lawn. A woman was outside shouting at a 
little girl to get away from the bike, and she heard voices that were calling for Mindy, and it was 7.25 p.m. So the Kelowna RCMP state that they never received these statements. However, they did find documentation that shows that files were opened for Mrs. Henners and Fred Mail, and they found evidence in Tidsbury notes that he was in regular contact with Fred Mail. It's a cover-up. <clears throat> and then my last note is Shannon actually wrote a book. Yeah. It's called Hang Shannon Murren. <laughs> okay. And he's having a hard time finding a publisher. Shocker. Okay, no, but Robert picked and released a book from prison. But- <laughs> they sent it down to Colorado, though. Yeah. Maybe he's trying to stay local. It's not working for him. <laughs> Maybe he's just not smart enough. I don't know. I'm not fully convinced that Shannon did it. I am. No. You know what? That abandoned house thing was, like, weird for me. I think he's a super shady dude. And it... It just, there's too many things that don't add up, and I'm not fully convinced. I'm not fully convinced either. Like, if it ended up ever being him, I wouldn't be like, oh my god. I'm so shocked. No. But, like, I think think they tunnel visioned, like, really bad. There had, I feel like there's, there's something with the Tidsbury. Like, he just focused on a person, that's who it's going to be, and we're just going to make it hit that person. And, I mean, that's... All arrows point to it in terms of how he handled himself and the investigation and the fact that he just sent three dudes to go beat the shit out of him. Like. Yeah, like what? If like. And like the, the confession was never brought up in court from what no. I read. because they, no, they can't. They can't take that confession to court. He almost died. He had cranial fluid leaking out of his yeah. ear and you're going to take a confession? No. No. So you didn't. Like there's no way. Like no. no there's no shit he got off. Because, like, you had, like, no evidence. There was holes everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, the DNA testimonies didn't even match up. And it's DNA. Isn't it? Don't get me started. (laughs) I know. I shouldn't bring that up again. (laughs) I just shouldn't laugh. But honest, honestly. No, it's it's obviously a very sad story. I feel very, very sad for Mindy Trent's family. Yeah. They obviously want some closure to this, and there's never been closure. No. And, like, the RCMP said they're never going to reopen it. That's really sad. That's I think that is the 100% the worst part. I mean, besides the fact this little girl was taken and murdered, is the fact that this whole investigation, this like, it's not become about her. It's no. not... It's about Tidsbury. It's about Tid. Yeah, exactly. He made the entire thing, and he just fucked so much shit up, and he ruined the entire thing that this poor family is never going to get closure, and that's awful. Yeah, and, like, you know what's crazy is, like, I've looked up, like, a lot of cases, and there's always, like, history about the person who, like, the victim. I'm like, I know Mindy was eight. Like, it's, I know she doesn't have, like, a ton of history. I couldn't even find her birthday. I couldn't even find her birthday. There's so much information about Shannon and Tidsbury. I can't even find the victim's birthday. Yeah. I wanted to, like, you know, say, like, she was born on this day. Like, I know her parents immigrated from Vietnam. Like, was she born in Vietnam and came here? Were they already here? Like, what did they do for work? I couldn't find out anything about them. There was, um, there were some articles out there. They were, like, somebody had literally taken a picture of an old newspaper, and so this was a really shoddy image. But what I could get out of it is basically they said that this the writer was trying to say you know they came here for a better life i'm pretty sure she was born here okay i either she was born there or she mom was pregnant when she came here it was like somewhere in the really close 
but I'm almost positive she was born here. And that they made this huge article about how they came here for a better life and then this is what they got. And it's it's true, though. Like, I mean... Yeah, you don't hear anything about them. No. Like, I saw a couple articles, like, not, I don't want to say recently, but, you know, in the last, like, they said yeah. 10 years, it's like, oh, you know, 25 years since her disappearance, and, like, the family's still waiting, but it's like a paragraph. Yeah. And it's, was, like, cool. Well, like, it was the one from, like, 2000, I think it was 2018 or something like something that. Something like that. And I was like, cool, like, why, yeah. like, the RCMP should reopen it. They should have someone else take another look at it. Yeah. Like, I know that the shirt got fucking washed, but like, I'm sorry. I was literally just mumbling that under my mouth. <laughs> like, come on, they're looking at. There was oh, um, one of those Netflix specials. I don't remember which one it was. I watched quite a few in a row, <laughs> but they like they reopened the case. It was a cold case, and they reopened it like in 2010, and they pulled the clothes. Out of a sealed bag, and they tested for DNA some 30 some odd years later. Yeah. But you know, but this is this is where the guy didn't wash the clothes. <laughs> Sorry. It's just where I'm hung up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's honestly like the hugest mistake ever. I just can't believe that. And it's really sad for Mindy Trans family. And yeah. I don't even know if they still live here. Or anything about that. And, like, I yeah. hope that they do get closure. But, like, I doubt it. No. For, just from, like, what I read and, like, the lack of information. Like, I mean, I guess the only closure they can really have is the fact that they were able to bury their daughter. They did find her eventually. But what about those two women? I wonder if they have anything added to the case. It, you know, And it, also the brown truck, but now the white van. But then this person says it was an ugly brown van. So did everyone get it, like, mixed up? Right. Or because this was, like, later at night. So did she or, think it was brown and it was white? Or here's the thing. Did the cops go up and be like, did you see a white van? Or a brown truck. All right. And, and they're like, like, a brown van. <laughs> they're like, you have to pick one that's not an option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There, There's such lack of solid information. And you know what? There's like, it's even hard to find information online. And like, there is a website dedicated to her and it's not great. It's like super it's, old website style. It's very confusing. You know what? It, you know what it reminded me of when I was reading it? It reminded me of like a really, like a grieving family member, just like verbal diarrhea. That's for sure. That's exactly the way it reads. It's somebody who is really close to the situation and it's, like, really upsetting yeah, for them. it's really upsetting. It's not very well put together. They really tried, but, I mean... No, like, there's tons of information there and, like, links and, like, the content is there. Yeah. Definitely just how it's structured is just not user-friendly. It's well, even no, on it's, an old website format. Like, it, 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 it looks outdated. Oh, it is. It's totally... I don't think anything's been added since, what did they say, 2001 or 2002 was the last time anything was added, which is fair. There's not going to be any new It makes me want to, like, take all that information, though, and, like, put it somewhere else because, like, yeah. I don't know. It's just sad. It really is. It, like... It shook the whole community. I remember when I was young, like I said, we had just moved here and suddenly we weren't supposed to be outside alone playing. And a couple of my coworkers I talked to today, they were saying the same thing. It was like, you know, you weren't supposed to be outside playing and it's, yeah, it rocked this community. That's for sure. For sure. I think it was Tanya that told me she's a friend, another friend of ours. Um, that she, like, lived in Rutland at that time and was, like, walking down the street around that time with her mom. 
That's crazy. I think it was Tanya. I might be wrong. Tanya, tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was her, but she was the one who messaged me about Mindy Chen. And she asked me, she was like, yeah, I can't remember. Like, did you live in Kelowna then? And I was like, no, I moved here in like, I think I moved here in 96 or 97. So it was like right after, but I didn't hear about it. Yeah. I think if you if lived here when she went missing, you probably remember it. But Absolutely. I was definitely it was everywhere. I remember just I was five. Yeah, I was five when it happened, and I can still remember like everybody talking about it all the time. It was big news. It was people were scared. They didn't know if it was going to happen again or. Well, Kelowna was small back then, right? Like yeah. it was, and like definitely a small community, and like something like that happens, like man, yeah, so. Very sad. Very sad. Well, that does conclude our story about Mindy Tran and her very sad passing here in our hometown of Kelowna. So thank you everyone for listening. I do post new episodes here every second Tuesday. And if you want to keep up, up, what? If you want to keep up with the podcast, then feel free to follow our Instagram page at Murder Sandwich Podcast. And yeah, we can be found on all major podcast platforms. And thank you, Katie, for joining me. And thank you very much for having me. I was very excited to actually get to be on this one. This is the one I wanted to be on because it is so close. And, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening, and see you in two weeks. Uh, Disclaimer, if you thought Robert Picton was bad, the next one is definitely worse. Ooh, I can't wait. So I mean, I don't – anyways, yeah. (laughs) Okay, thanks, everyone. Bye.